Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Monday, October 21, 2019. Happy birthday to Councilor Joan Herman. <laughs> Discussion, uh, an update from this previous discussion on the tobacco retail licensing issue. Thank you. Uh, so I was, wasn't here not too long ago talking about tobacco retail licensing. Um, during that time when we were, uh, when I met with you, we were still in the process of having a draft going around. We talked about a few things. Uh, the tobacco retail licensing, as you know, would be uh, the purpose of to license all tobacco retailers in the county, including within the cities so that we can make sure that they are uh, meeting the standards of Tobacco 21, which means they can't sell tobacco products underneath the age of 21. The uh, other piece that tended to be a little more um, uh, controversial was the flavor ban. And um, as you can see here, this is uh, something talking about Tobacco 21. Uh, you've seen this presentation before. I'll just quickly go through it to the important <coughs> step. This is why we would want to do our uh, tobacco retail licensing. Um, only 12 out of the 61 stores were checked in 2018, so that leaves a large chunk of that were not inspected by the state. And even, even so, only 12% of those stores did sell to minors they were using decoys. So we do have a problem in our county. And there's no strong incentive for retailers to obey the law. That's why we need the retail licensing. Um, here's some data about um, still the easiest states to youth legally purchase tobacco. <coughs> And usually takes teens less than five attempts to purchase tobacco. So they go up to a store, not successful, go again, go again, and go again. And then finally they mention to get some. So we're going to try to help our stores not allow that to happen by doing the real licensing. Um, and everyone's pretty familiar with the vaping issues that are going along in the national level as well as the state level. Um, this is uh, the vaping has become a pretty serious issue, especially among the youth. It's one of the most popular things to do now in our schools. We did a, re we did a survey back in 20, the earlier this year, and found that a good number, we don't have an actual number, but a good number of reported of problems by superintendents that we spoke to saying that this is probably much higher than that number being reported there. Um, you can see we have those reports. We actually sent you a copy of it the last time we saw you about what we found. Um, and it really is still because it still is a problem despite all the warnings and all the issues that have come out since. Um, the whole purpose of vaping really has been jeweled despite their uh, best intentions to say it's a good alternative to smoking. It really has been packaged and designed to create new smokers. 
uh, with the type of flavors they use, the commercials they use, the marketing, social media, it's all really about uh, how they can get um, folks to buy the, the uh, product. So the retail licensing piece, uh, if we get that through, uh, with your permission at some point, uh, we would allow, we require all businesses who sell tobacco to get a retail license through the Department of Health. It would be an annual fee of about $350. That fee would pay for us to come in and do inspections at least twice a year. In the first year, what we would do is do an educational piece. We'd bring along all the materials, the checklists, everything that we do for the new inspection so they would know upfront what to expect from us and how to comply with the law. From then on, it's going to be surprise inspections, secret chocolate style. Um, and we want to make sure that we got, uh, you know, to make sure they're in compliance. Uh, some other pieces uh, to ensure that seed cigarettes and vape are moved behind the counter. That's still required by state law. Uh, preventing new retailers within 1,000 feet of schools and eliminate price discounts and coupons. We really want to make it a county-wide process. That's why we're going to the cities again to talk about this. We don't want it to be in the city of Astoria, skip Seaside, in Warrington, because then it doesn't have an even playing field. <laughs> the banned flavored tobacco products has been removed from the draft that you have in your hands. We've had a couple public hearings, and uh, working with our county commissioners, we've decided to pull the flavored product ban. So that would mean that when our tobacco retail licensing uh, ordinance is adopted uh, in probably January, uh, that piece would be gone. So we would not be, this is separate from what the governor is doing. The governor actually put a vaping ban to on all the vaping products, and uh, including THC. That was 180 days in place. That was outside of what our agents were. We were working on, didn't know we were working in parallel. But uh, the, um, the piece that you might read right now, what's happening with the governor's piece is that it's been put a judicial stay on that emergency executive order. So how it's going to work is that the governor's office and Oregon Health Authority and told local public health to do the enforcement on that, of course. So, but luckily there's been a stay on that, so it gives us a little more time to plan on how we're going to do that, if and what time, and sometime in the future, if the um, governor does win that uh, argument, then we'll be able to do that piece. So, um, we did talk to the retailers. We've had quite a bit of inf uh, information from them. All of them, we have not heard any, uh, no one does not support the TRL, Tobacco Retail Licensing. They were very much in oppo opposing the flavor ban, but not tobacco retail licensing in and of itself. So that was uh, important information. Uh, they would consider continuing the sale of vaping products to protect youth from using, uh, although that's no longer really going to be a concern. If, if we really want to make sure uh, that we get it out of their hands, but make sure that it's under, under age 21. And most of the, the vast majority of the retailers we spoke to said that this licensing will not affect their business in any substantial way. Um, Oregon is only one of nine states to have tobacco retail licensing. Um, we would be uh, in the same ones, we would be having our, if, if passed, Ben Klamath Lane and Multnomah counties already have theirs in place, we'd be following their footsteps. And that's why we're trying to do this, is to keep them out of the hands of the kids. Um, if we get them hooked on vaping, the odds are that eventually they'll be hooked on smoking because of the costs. So we really want to try to keep it out of their hands and all the Stop the nicotine addiction before it gets started.
<clears throat> Any questions? I'm a little confused. So the, I bet you are. So uh, the flavored baking products mm -hmm. are or are not illegal or will be illegal? Right now, they are not illegal. So the, the governor's executive order was stayed by the justice. Okay. So that means that those products, as of last Thursday, are now legal to sell again. Until okay. such time that a jury or a judge or a Supreme Court or somebody decides okay. whether or not it's a legal order. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't affect the tobacco retail license right. at the local level. That's about AB. And since we've taken that piece out of our ordinance, we're going to let that piece go. But it sounds like those flavored products appeal to youth in particular. Exactly. Okay. But we don't, we don't want to say we're not going to re revisit this. We want to have the ordinance in place, <laughs> see how things go, see how the executive order goes with the at the state level. You know, it really would be a better idea to have that kind of ordinance come from the state. If the state would ban vaping statewide, it takes the local public health out of the picture and makes us maybe do the enforcement, but at least we're going to have to write the ordinances right. It'd be a lot better if the state would step up and actually make it a law, but they may have overstepped with the executive order. I guess we'll find out. Okay. Sure. I guess that was related to my question as to, as to why we are only um, one out of nine states that where this hasn't been passed at the state level. So, um, I mean, do you think getting it passed in individual counties will make that easier to happen? Because I certainly think it would be ideal if it was passed at the state level. Um, I think it would be, uh, so since Tobacco 21, the age of 21 was established at the state level, they just don't have the staff or the resources to actually enforce that. So they push that down to all the locals in the state of Oregon because they just don't have the ability to do so. So the expectation is then all 35 counties have to decide whether or not they're going to step up and do that. And if they do, then we have to have an ordinance in place to make that happen. So Clatsop County, we feel because we're interested in protecting our youth, we want to move forward. Sure. Thank you. So uh, the next step will be from us is that uh, we're meeting with the, all the cities again over the next four or five weeks, and then uh, the, the uh, county commissioners will be reviewing the next draft of the ordinance in uh, the December meeting with potential passing on January 8th. So then we'll be back to talk to you sometime in January. So is there any, is this just information only or is there something you're requesting from the city to take back to the county? Um, information only. Okay, great. Yep. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Councilors, uh, reports of councilors. Councilor Herman. Not a whole lot to report other than meeting with a couple of constituents about various issues, and then along with the rest of us up here, I attended the elected officials meeting, uh, countywide elected officials, uh, a week ago Thursday. We had a really good discussion in particular about Chief Spaulding's idea to possibly share costs on a homelessness liaison officer who would essentially help coordinate programs of services available to individuals who are without homes with the idea of hopefully providing better services and at more cost effective hopefully. So I think that's a great idea. And then I just wanted to give a plug for the 13th Astoria International Film Festival. 
this coming weekend, the 25th through the 27th, at the Liberty. So it should be great. It's organized by Ron Critic. Thank you. Uh, just a few things real quick. I was able to attend the fire department's open house, uh, which was uh, kind of just kind of fun. See what you're up to, and I got my a fresh, you know, sweatshirt. So mm -hmm. trying to buy. And um, then also the countywide meeting. Uh, enjoyed that discussion as well. And I also want to mention that uh, coming up on the 29th, uh, Columbia Forum. Uh, it's going to be 10 myths about climate change uh, with Philip Moat, and uh, he's the founding director of Oregon Climate Change Research Institute. Should be a really interesting talk and probably worthwhile if you can make that uh, event. And then finally, I just want to mention I'm going to have a uh, Meet Your Counselor event at Three Cups of Coffee under the bridge this Saturday at 9 a.m got nothing better to do and you want to get a chance to let me know what you think, it's a great opportunity. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor West? Uh, not a whole lot outside of what was already mentioned. Um, I did attend uh, an event at the Liberty that gave, it was a really good presentation as far as an update on their capital campaign uh, and how much funding they've raised so far for their renovations. Um, and so it was incredibly informative. And I just want to reiterate the usefulness of the countywide meeting um, and commend Chief Spaulding for giving an excellent presentation on what those of us um, that are with the Homelessness Solutions Task Force are uh, advocating for um, and the liaison position, um, as Joan talked about was a big part of that. And the last thing I'll mention is that uh, I had forgotten to mention that I went to the Harbors open house, which was even before our last meeting, but um, I spoke with their executive director, just kind of checked in again with them last week after that. And they are um, really looking for volunteers. And so if you would like to connect with them, um, if you have the time or, uh, the desire to um, find out more about what they do and, and potentially volunteer, I would encourage you to check out their website because they're, they're really looking to expand their volunteer base right now. Councilor Rocker. Uh, I'm also really excited the countywide elected officials meetings. Uh, this is the second one we've had, and it's, it's really an opportunity for us to, to look for ways together to deal with <coughs> common issues. And I think with the perfect place for Chief Spaulding to introduce the idea of the coordinator to deal with homeless solutions. Um, other than that, I took advantage of our fire department smoke alarm campaign. And it's been going on now for um, at least a couple of months. And what they will do is they'll come to your home and they'll size up where smoke alarms are needed. And then they actually supply them and install them. And I think this program is still available while supplies last. So uh, jump by while you can. When I talked to them last week, they still had and I should mention that I exchanged uh, several emails with uh, Port Commission Chair Dirk Rome uh, in the interest of maintaining a dialogue and a friendship uh, in the face of pretty strong disagreement over Bridge Vista. And actually, Dirk and I talked to him when I walked in. So that's great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. 
Uh, yeah, so in addition to the Liberty Theater fundraising update and the uh, county elected official meeting, I, uh, there was a national tourism conference in Astoria last week organized by Extension. And so we had Extension offices from around the country. We had about 110 people staying in Astoria for three nights, having a series of seminars on tourism. I was on a panel there with uh, Kevin Leahy from Cedar, as well as Senator Johnson and Commissioner, County Commissioner Quayla. It was very interesting. Um, there's a group called the International Women's Forum, which has branches in every state and many countries. And they, the Oregon chapter of IWF had their meeting in Astoria this past weekend. And I spoke to their group and also uh, sat and listened on a panel. They had a panel consisting of uh, Captain Ann McIntyre, who's the Columbia River pilot for the last 20-some years, and uh, Lieutenant Jess Schaefer, who's the, the first female commanding officer of Coast Guard Station Cape Disappointment. Uh, Katie Volke, who many of you know from the Northwest uh, Land, the North Coast Land Conservancy, and uh, Irene Martin, who's a female commercial fisherwoman, and they talked about the many challenges they've had going up in their careers as women, and it was a very eye-opening experience for a, an old fart like me. <laughs> I also uh, Saturday night attended the 100th birthday of our local Kiwanis Club, along with Senator Johnson and. Uh, it was great that Commissioner Spence was there as a member, and it was great hearing about all the great things that Kiwanis does for youth and, uh, and the community. And then finally, I also had a nice meeting with uh, Port Commission President Roan, who's, who's here tonight. Welcome, President Roan. And uh, all right, that's that. Changes to agenda. No changes. Okay, consent calendar. Items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they make the request to the city manager by 5 p.m. on the day of the meeting. And have any items been requested to be removed by the public? No, no citizen requests. And councilors? No. All right, then could we have a motion? I'll move that we approve the consent calendar. I'll second. And uh, roll call, Ms. Brooks. Councilman Herman? Aye. Councilman Branson? Aye. Councilman West? Aye. Councilman Aye. Aye. And regular agenda. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the council. And just uh, if you wish to speak to a topic, please raise your hand and you'll be invited to the podium to introduce yourself and your address and uh, have three minutes to speak. Item 7A is the second reading and adoption of an amendment request A1901B, the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone Codes. So public hearings on these code amendments have been held over the past three months at city council meetings. Uh, the public hearing on uh, this item has been uh, opened and reopened and continued and is now uh, considered closed as uh, the, the hearing was closed at the last meeting. A first reading has been held and read in conformance with the City of Astoria Charter. So tonight, if the draft code meets Council's expectations, it'd be in order for the Council to conduct a second reading and adopt the ordinance as amended for the Bridge Vista Overlay Code Amendments. There is no staff presentation on this matter, however, Planner Rosemary Johnson is available if there are any questions of the City Council. Okay, thank you. 
And uh, I do know there are some people that wish to speak tonight. So, uh, but I'm, I'm going to check with this. Which because would not be a public hearing. Right. People about to comment on the issue like they would any other. I'm going to ask, I'm going to defer to the city attorney since the public hearing was closed. Um, this is a legislative matter. There is no restriction on taking public testimony. You can reopen it if you wish. And so, is it possible to take public comment on this topic as any other agenda topic without reopening the public hearing, or does taking comment constitute a public reopening the public hearing? Uh, taking, I think it would constitute reopening the public hearing. Uh, does any councilor object to reopening the public hearing? No. All right, in that case, I'll uh, reopen the public hearing. Is there anyone who would like to speak in, in favor of the, uh, the item? Is there anyone who would like to speak opposed to the item? Please come up. <clears throat> Dirk Rome, 43738, Girdle Lane. Uh, this is the last email I sent in response to Councillor Roger Rocca that I wanted to share with the whole council and read into the record. This regard to the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone. Thank you for your email, Roger. I really appreciate your emailing me in the first place. I thought up of the same idea of having the city manager and port director meet and then following up with up the respective bodies meeting. So I thought <clears throat> this idea would at least get some discussion by the city council. No mention of it at the last meeting. The five port commissioners were all elected by everyone, including all of your constituents, to manage the port. I believe we do not have less legitimacy than the city council to manage the port. On the contrary, we were elected to oversee its management. The city is unilaterally imposing its will on the port with the imposition of the two corridors. It was with complete disregard to the elected port board that the city council does this. The view corridors specifically were a very last minute addition. There is absolutely no reason the city has to stick it to the port. As a county commissioner and planning commissioner before that, I never thought to make up new rules to impose my will on someone else's property. That would be for the voters to decide. Your legal counsel is right. You are condemning property. When I got elected to the county commission, it was not my hope to swing the pendulum from the right to the left, but rather rise above it. In regard to what is before you today, I thought my initial NIMBY comment might have been too extreme. Now I'm not so sure. That's where I'm at, but <coughs> if you wish to prove me wrong, I would really appreciate it. And uh, in another email exchange, Councillor Rocca suggested that, asked me whether I would like to have the second reading delayed for the Bridge Vista overlay zone or just the portion concerning the view corridors. And I, I, I would ask that I would think it would be a fantastic compromise if you have your second reading of the Bridge Vision overlay zone with the exception of the portion on the uh, view corridors, which were a very last minute addition that didn't come from your, your um, planning commission. And so I feel like that, was, that would be a very legitimate request. And that your council and our commission have a joint work session, and we could discuss this together. I felt at your last meeting you were having a robust conversation, but um, the port commission was in the audience and we couldn't participate. So um, that was an idea that Councilor Rocca came up with, 
I don't know how he feels about that. I had a very pleasant uh, evening with uh, dinner with with the mayor and felt like we have a lot we can work on together. And so that would be my request to you this evening that you conduct a second reading with the exception of the, the view corridors, which I believe, <coughs> as your county council said, would be condemning poor property, which I believe as board commission we should be entitled to at least being a part of that conversation. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, President Ron. Thank you, President Ron. Is there anyone else who would like to speak opposed to the measure? Is there anyone who would like to speak impartial? Mr. Knight. Thank you, Mayor. Jim Knight, 42041 Eddie Point Lane. I have to tell you that walking in with you through this process, through the meetings, it really does feel like we're close to a precipice. It's never too late to make a really good decision. Throughout this process, there's this one thing. It's not who's right or who's wrong. The view corridors and the views of people's property, it's understandable that they would want them. And it's totally understandable that folks like Steve Fick, who intends to build something, purchase the property under a separate set of rules, has the rules changed right under his feet. How could he not feel upset? like other property owners on the waterfront. That's the battle, it's the battle between a person's right to develop their properties at the time that they purchased it against the property values of folks who want to be able to enjoy the views of the Columbia River. One thing that I have seen that has not been discussed or presented, and I could be totally wrong in the family, I sincerely apologize. Where is the financial impact analysis of the rules that you're imposing upon property development. How much future revenue is going to be lost to the city just in tax revenue because of restrictive rules of not being able to develop to a property's expectations or market conditions for that matter? Certainly there's got to be ways that the community and business development of properties can work together. I have to tell you my observation from the beginning was it was pretty well preordained that we really wanted as a city council and a community to have very restrictive rules on property to protect the views and the understanding that some folks have of what does it mean to be an Astorian and live in this community. So putting away or putting aside all of the emotion of the issue, what I came down to was what really should be evaluated, I'm sure the Public Works Department would appreciate a few shots in the arm of additional capital in order to complete some of the projects that desperately need to be done. What will be the future demands of our infrastructure? And we're losing tonight, potentially, the opportunity to develop the property to its fullest potential in a way that does not conflict, hopefully, miraculously, that it's an understandable trade between views and development. Otherwise, we're headed for the precipice of not being able to develop property to its potential to develop and to receive revenue in the city of what we could be having. Forgetting about the infrastructure failure problems that we have today, we can't fund the library for crying out loud. So, it's not too late to take a deep breath and think this through one more time. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Is there anyone else who would like to speak uh, impartially? Public hearing is uh, closed. Council discussion. Sure, I'd like to ask our county council if you would clarify his comments about uh, uh, Mr. Roman feels that uh, basically you said that we're condemning that property. Would you clarify? Uh, I'm not sure of what statement he's attributing to me, but uh, you can't, you can only condemn private property, you can't condemn public property. So whatever happens, it's not a condemnation. Uh, I'm not, I, I believe that he's referring to some statements that were made when this amendment uh, was passed last week was first suggested. I had some concerns about due process and allowing uh, the property owner an opportunity to address those questions. Um, but that, that, I think those, whatever comments I did make, and I couldn't tell you today exactly they were, um, they were not a legal opinion that we were condemning property because that's not what we're doing. Um, is, do you have any sense of if we are going to have a meeting of the two bodies, a workshop between the port and uh, this council, um, when that might happen? I would be in favor of we can pull the council to ask the council and commission's uh, respective availability and have a meeting at the first opportunity. But I couldn't I couldn't tell you whether or not we could have a meeting within the next before the next city council meeting or not. It would just depend on schedules. by saying I don't know if any other counselors uh, share the same view as Councilor Rocca, but is that even a possibility? Can you hold a second reading of the code language with the exception of Section 9D, the Basin and Bay Street View Corridor paragraph? Is that possible? Well, I think the, 
The only way I can imagine doing it is to hold a vote to reconsider the amendment. We're, we're, we're looking at an ordinance, a proposed ordinance and amendment. Um, and to reconsider that, you'd first have a, a motion uh, to reconsider it, and then you'd have a new vote on the amendment. If both of those pass, then you'd be back where we started from the original form of the uh, ordinance. So, Mr. Hengard, Mayor, if I could provide Please. some follow-up. So, if let's say Mr. Hengard, uh, the council did that, and they uh, said, "Okay, we will go back to the, the prior ordinance pre-amendment." If uh, the council wanted to reconsider the view corridor in the future, would this be a new amendment process, which would start back at the planning commission level, or would it uh, be able to come back to the city council? I would think you'd have to go through the regular channels and go through planning commission and then up to the city council. I, I would agree. That, that would be my, that would be, as a, as a planner, I believe that would be the correct process. That, that if you went back, you would start at a full new uh, code amendment process. Again, just for that one part? That's correct. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that, that, that the city attorney and I were on the, on the same page and so that the council had the information on. Well, I've got to say that, um, with all due respect, and I know that the view corridor deal is at the last minute, but um, you know I've advocated strongly for the port. The port has as much flexibility as possible for that for their property, um, and it's been difficult because there's been a lot of pressure around me to, even with a planned district, to restrict that. In fact. There were counselors who were questioning uh, the idea of a plant district altogether, um, and so I was pretty I was pretty pleased that we were able to uh, get the plant district put in place, and that it gave you additional flexibility. I would have liked for you to have had even more flexibility, but it turns out the, the view corridor turned out to be a funny point for me because I, I always felt that they were important, but I didn't see them threatened. And it was only, it really boils down to Bay Street, um, which is the one off of three cups of coffee, looking straight out there. But the other one down, nobody was really concerned about that as a view corner. That's pretty wide open anyway. Uh, so, that, so this was a situation where we, were, we ended up taking on a very specific, narrow, piece of that bridge vista and um, trying to set it aside essentially to protect it. And, and I want to, Mr. Knight, correct you, you know, when you talk about Mr. Fick, Mr. Fick is not the bridge vista and this doesn't impact him. Bridge vista only is impacting the Hollander property, the warehouse property, Northwest Natural Gas, and the port properties. So just make sure that when people talk about this, that we know what we're talking about. I'm, I have very strong feelings about protecting that view corridor. And having looked at what uh, Ms. Johnson showed us to show how that would impact, it's not that you can't use it, you just can't stick your building into it, which leaves 
the majority of that lot available to develop. They need to have a portion of that, and that could be part of the 50% of the lot, or if, even if you expanded it. It still left a lot of flexibility. So I was willing to go along with that. Because um, if that wasn't in there, then when it came around to the plan district, I would be sitting up here advocating for the U corridor, which could have just automatically just fallen into place. We just don't know. So, um, you know, if, if the council wishes to put this off and send it out there and have a more detailed conversation with the court, which, by the way, again, with the exception of your uh, previous director and Mr. Spence, the court was not in attendance. We've had a long year process on this whole thing. And you, you, I realize you guys are busy. Except for that last bit. Except for that, well. That was kind of. That's when you showed up. That's when you showed up. I'd love to discuss that time. I'll speak right, so, you know, it's, it's not that we didn't really work through this and work hard and get a lot of detail. Again, I, I can appreciate your concern about that last point. I'm happy to discuss it. Uh, but I just want to be clear that, uh, you know, it's hard to count on developers to always take in the interest of the community when they do things. And that's what people are a little fearful about, and I, respect, I understand that. So, um, however this turns out, I'm willing to go along and take it off uh, and, and put it in dealing with it down the road. Because at least we haven't let it go, uh, but maybe a little bit more consideration on that particular point, and maybe the broader discussion about how we go about. Like, you know, because we're going to be taking on during the court here, and um, you know, we want to get these things as wise as we can the first time around, instead of this last-minute stuff kind of being thrown in there because somebody goes, "Oh no." Because people will always be going, oh no, at some point. And at some point, we have to make a decision. And, and it's time to make a decision. But again, I will, if the rest of the council majority chooses to go in that direction, I will be happy to pull that. Well, I do not support postponing this decision. Um, the board did have an opportunity to participate at our last meeting. And there was a good back and forth dialogue, and um, there were members of the public, a number, number of members of the public who were here, who supported keeping those views open, and they're not here tonight simply because they thought we had made our decision already. They were not expecting us to reopen the public hearing. So I do not feel comfortable postponing that decision. And one other point um, regarding what you said, Commissioner Rowan, it does make us very unpopular sometimes, members of the Planning Commission and the City Council, but it is our job to set zoning ordinances, code amendments for all properties within the city, even publicly owned ones. So um, that's just the reality of what we do. But I would like the council and the port to sit down together, uh, but not to hash out this issue. Um, but just to have a dialogue about all the issues facing each of our uh, jurisdictions.
I appreciate you coming, Derek. I really do. Um, I, I am going to have to agree with Joe mainly because uh, the other property owners that brought this kind of at the forefront are not here to contribute to the discussion. Um, and I do, I want to reiterate, I had concerns about the view corridors initially and Rosemary Johnson cleared up a lot of my questions as far as that property still being able to be developed, it would just be to either one side or the other of the view corridor and not change the maximum square footage that was allowed anyway. Um, I also feel really strongly that uh, passing the plan districts, which I believe is the right thing to do, will give the port um, flexibility in, in the future to, to work with that property. And, and I agree, I, I mean, I would love to sit down with you guys. And because a lot of these code amendments, there's so, um, there's so many different uh, issues and facets to them that this, like, like it's already been mentioned, has been a really long process. And I don't expect anyone even coming to it late, especially when a curveball is kind of thrown at the end to really be able to navigate a lot of the language. And so um, I think in conversation or in a work session, um, we could probably clarify some of the questions or even maybe some of the misunderstandings around what's been passed. Um, so, I mean, I think we really still want to work with you um, to find the best way to move forward. So, Council Rocca, did you have an intent to formally make a proposal, or? No, I think I would just be using out loud. And um, I guess the other thing I would want to say in terms of the economic development and so on, um, very few people would deny the stories that Renaissance over the last 20, 25 years. And in large part, that Renaissance came because Astoria recognized the value of its river and the use of that river and the work that uh, that was done by previous councils and uh, particularly by Paul Benoit and implementing the Morassi plan on the riverfront has a lot to do with the success that Astoria has enjoyed. So economic development isn't always you know what we narrowly define it to be. Um, I guess I'm still thinking about this in my head. The, what we came up with, too, there, there are exceptions for, uh, for water-dependent uses. We, we, we have tried to accommodate, as best we can, the need for, for development and industrial development. Um, people keep talking about the value of a working waterfront, and, and I agree with that. But what is a working waterfront? It's not hotels. And that's not what presents a value to the community. So, I'm really torn on this. Uh, as I say, I respect Dirk and I respect everything he's done in public life. And I know him to be a smart and capable person, but I'm not sure that. I'm not sure I'm going to be 
that change. Well, I'm, uh, at first I want to say that um, I want to thank uh, President Malone for his uh, comments and his thoughts, and I understand your uh, frustration. And um, looking into the future, I want to say how very much I'm looking forward to having a, to building a strong working relationship between the Astoria City Council and the, and the uh, Port Commission. And do look forward to scheduling work sessions and uh, meetings together to discuss all issues that we share mutually into the future. I do understand your frustration with the view corridor issue. I was, uh, as expressed at the last meeting, I was very concerned uh, that that was, uh, if not a legal taking, a significant uh, hit on your property, and I was, I was satisfied with the answer Ms. Johnson gave me when I asked whether, given the 50% lot coverage restriction on those lots, uh, if the, if the uh, maximum size of a building that could be built on those lots would be affected by the view quarter, the answer you gave me Ms. Johnson, that it wouldn't be that they would just have to, they couldn't put the building in during in the view court, it would have to shift to the west, but it could still be the same size. Is that still That's your position? Great. So, that I feel much better about it under those uh, circumstances. So, at this point, before any motions are made, I'll, I'll call for a second reading, Ms. Brooks. Ordinance amending the Astoria Development Code pertaining to the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone standards. Are there any, uh, is there a motion? further council discussion. Well, I, I guess I just want to uh, uh, once again reiterate that. Maybe I don't want to reiterate anything. I, I just want to say that, you know, this has been a very difficult process. And this is a uh, new council that came in here and took on these, but they took them on behind on, on the backs of the planning hard work. Um, and when the mayor brought it up in January, right off the bat, and said we we're going to revisit the BBO, um, I had no idea that it would be this complex. I was hoping, you know, let's make a, a, a three-story height restriction. That's all people, that would satisfy most everybody at the point in time that we went through this whole Hollander exercise. And I have, I still have mixed feelings about what this is. Um, because 
say I do long work with support and long work hard with support so that you can be successful because it's not only this plan district. You know, we also have the East Morning Basin which is going to come up, and that's going to be a real serious discussion. So I, I think that you know the two groups getting together and having this broader discussion about um, how this may play out and just understand each other and, and how we feel about it be really important going forward, and I look forward to that opportunity. Yeah, so just following this through the Planning Commission minutes and then to our own meetings over the last several months, I'm, I'm very satisfied with the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone Code Amendments. I think it's a very good and reasonable compromise between the uh, economic needs of property owners and the uh, concerns by, expressed by citizens. We had a strong push, and there was a, sent, a sentiment among uh, a fair number of counselors a few months ago to have a maximum height of 28 feet period and a the floor area ratio of 0.75 and maximum building size of uh, 30,000 feet for an entire lot, not just per building. And what we have now is, I think, a, it's a significant uh, compromise. We, have, we can uh, allowing building heights up to 35 feet instead of 28 feet if there is access to the river provided. And it allows for up to 30,000 square foot building, which is larger than was envisioned earlier by several of the counselors. And, uh, and with the 50% lot coverage instead of 0.75 FAR, which means that at a two-story building, instead of being limited to 37.5% lot coverage, it's still 50% lot coverage. And for a three-story building, it's still 50% lot coverage instead of 0.18, uh, roughly. So it's actually a significant compromise towards the needs of property owners, and yet still giving it's uh, significantly more restrictive than had been previously been allowed under the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone Code that was set in 2015. So I think it's a good compromise between the citizens who are pushing for greater protection of the waterfront and the property owners who are pushing to not have their rights restricted. So I'm very satisfied with it. And I'll ask for a roll call, Mr. Uh, uh, Pearson. Sorry. Councilor Herman. Aye. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor West. Aye. Councilor Rocco. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Uh, the City Council's ruling may be appealed by any person withstanding by filing a notice of intent to appeal with the Oregon Land Use Board of Appeals within 21 days after the council has made its decision. If an appeal is not filed with LUBA within the 21-day period, the decision of the city council shall be final. Thank you, Ms. Johnson. Thank you. Thanks for all your work, Ms. Johnson. You're leaving off the Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Item 7B is a lease agreement for the 17th Street Dock East End. So at your last meeting, staff was given direction to finalize negotiations of uh, lease agreement language with American Cruise Lines, incorporating the items discussed at that meeting and bring that back to tonight's City Council for review. The modifications discussed at the uh, meeting and negotiated after the meeting uh, were noted in the memo. And uh, the recap from the prior meeting is on the first page of the meeting, but I would note there are a couple other items that were negotiated after the meeting 
and I'll mention those now. So there was a negotiated increase in the additional visits beyond the 110 number from $400 a day to $500 a day after evaluation of Port of Astoria fees. It was verified that the escalation clause applied both to the base rent and the fee for additional visits beyond 110. So tonight it's recommended that council consider the attached lease with American Cruise Lines and our public works Jeff, uh, director Jeff Harrington is available to answer any questions that you may have. Council discussion? I think we discussed this till we turned blue. <laughs> I know there is a member of the public who wants to speak. So I think I'm going to wait afterwards. Yeah, I could. I will invite uh, anyone who wishes to speak to this agenda item uh, to the podium. Please state your name and address. You know, three minutes. Uh, Fred White, 
like these are set at a decibel level, measured right there by the river walk, which is where these ships are, and have a decibel level of the, beyond which these ships can't, can't uh, produce noise. So, so anyway, just quickly, any lease of city property that uh, the city signs with a private company must provide a benefit to the citizens of Astoria. And I think having two cruise ships operating continuously with their motors running down there is not a benefit to the city. It uh, produces uh, air pollution and noise pollution. So thank you for your time. Mr. I can ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So I live in Alderbrook, and I don't hear that a River cruise boats from there too far away, but I hear the the freight the, the cargo ships that are anchored the river uh, frequently throughout the night. Uh, I hear tugboats going by. I hear a lot. I hear a lot of ship noise from my house in Alderbrook. Uh, can sometimes continuously through the night. And are, are you how how are you certain that the noise you're hearing is specifically from the river cruise boats and not from any other ships in the anchorage? We have ships in the anchorage that are. The riverboat continuously, and I never hear them. I also see the Coast Guard ships, and I never hear them. I only hear them when they're in port. And, and uh, it's just walk out behind the Maritime Museum and, and see what you think. Well, I, that's where I am every day of the week. I go up there. So, yeah, please do that. And honestly, I, yeah, I, so they're parked about 40 yards from my desk. Right. And I, I don't ever notice it. It's true. But then well, I'm a ship geek, so I, you know, ship, ship noise to me is kind of like yeah. birds chirping. Well, you probably don't hear it because the Maritime Museum was built by Albert Minnett Jr., who was a, a very fine builder. Anything built by him probably is well built, and you wouldn't hear that. Thank His you, father Mr. built my house. Oh, is that right? Yeah. He built the library and he built a lot of buildings around here. He's a fine builder. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. And I, I believe, uh, did we do any checking yet into just what's what's involved in yeah. getting shore power? Yes, Mr. Harrington can come forward up to the lectern and address this now. started after, after hearing this request, um, uh, looking into this, and we think it's going to be feasible. We, we don't have an exact cost, but um, there is power at the dock, which is usually the largest expense is getting power to the facility. So since we have a newer dock that, that has power, um, we have two options that we can look at. One is uh, coming off the transformer, which we know is doable, which is getting it out there. And then the other one is, is coming off the existing service panel, which would be a shorter route. Um, and uh, we're going to look at both those, those options. And I've already uh, talked a little bit with American Cruise Lines about, um, about the cost of that and maybe working something out where we can help with the labor and do the materials. So, cooperative partnership uh, to make that happen quicker than later. I think that's great. I, I responded to Mr. White's email and um, I just want to verify Fred's observations for you. I, while the, the boat was in, I went down there and, you know, it, it's funny how I've never paid any attention to the noise coming out. Sort of the same thing. Sort of background noise is downtown and there's traffic and all that going on. But there was, so definitely makes 
definitive sound. I heard that, and then I went up to Irving, up near Fred's home, and uh, sure enough, I heard the same rumble, clear as day, just along with all the traffic noise and whatnot, it all comes up the hill, and I thought, well, that's interesting, and here we go. So it, it was significant, and, and my, And I look at it from the standpoint of where I live, I live on the roundabout. I hear traffic all day, from morning till now. There's traffic noise, but right about now, it starts getting really quiet. People go home and go to sleep. It's quiet overnight. It's not an issue for me, but that's not the same for uh, the rest of Astoria. So I think it's great. I think that, that getting some power down there so they can plug in it just takes care of everything. It takes care of the noise, it takes care of the pollution. And for the guests aboard your boats, they don't have to hear the generator either. They can get a nice, quiet, nice sleep as well if that's where they're staying. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. The, the one thing that um, is still a question in my mind is, is why we didn't do it when we built the new dock. And I have to, I have to go yeah. back on those files and look at all the engineering reports and figure out why it didn't happen back then. And it could be, could be the complexity of figuring out how to build multiple users where Lease arrangement this eliminates that concern. Yeah, well, building should be right because I mean, you can beat her a box. Yeah, yeah. So we had by itself. So we had to clearly somehow and was using more than the others and how exactly that would be more fair. Yeah. yeah. But with one, one leaseholder, that would be very straightforward. Right. Well, Mike, the question would be if, um, let's say that there's a reasonable way to just to split it where the Sure, power goes to the Coast Guard cutters and split it off to the other side of the pier for the cruise boats. Um, and let's say you know it's we get the shore power installed. I mean, there's nothing in the contract that would compel ACL to use the shore power. And then, as far as billing, I mean, obviously, if they if, if a boat wants to use our shore power, we would expect them to pay for their usage during that time. So. Yeah, I mean, so. Well, my understanding, uh, talking to them, is that. Um, when shore power is available, they will use it. It's, it's definitely more cost effective to pay that, that power bill. We have fairly reasonable uh, power cost in this area uh, because of how our, you know, our power comes from, um, then, then run the generators for sure. And we can, we can ask their representative to. Yeah, maybe I'll ask the representative. Could you, sir, could you come up to the podium and just address that? Shore power is definitely cheaper for us. It's the it's the logistics and the cost of getting it there that uh, this is new. This is a new issue, obviously, for us too. I just I just learned it this tonight. So, um, you know, we we I will tell you, you know, I, I'm not in any way uh, doubting that you're hearing it. Um, and so we want to again, we, as we've said all along, part of our goal here is to be you know uh, good members of this community and sort of be in partnership with the city. Uh, what we had talked about with uh, Jeff briefly was um, when we have, and, and what Mr. White also brought up was the idea of when there's two ships at the same time. Right now that doesn't really happen um, because there's not room for two ships. So one of the things we've talked about is when, at such time as we make improvements which are provided for under the lease to allow two ships to come in, we'd certainly be willing to participate in, uh, in, in shore power. Because that, again, from an economic standpoint, is way cheaper for us too. 
to uh, use for a car that you're on generator or something. I, can I ask a quick question? And this may be for Mr. White, um, so hopefully that's okay. But isn't it, isn't the volume, you can hear it when there's just one ship or only when there's, when there's just one, hmm. is my understanding as well. So, I mean, two would certainly, I would think, make it worse, but. Yeah, I, I think that's what I was thinking too. Is that if nothing else, when you went for adding uh, a set set facility, that that was at, for sure at that time. That it makes sense for everybody. That's, that'd be a great time to do it. If we knew it beforehand somehow, that'd be uh, even better. But I think that would satisfy me too. Yeah. And we, you know, we're totally prepared to do that. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. If I can comment, because I, I after receiving your email and. A couple others from um, just people that are also impacted by the noise, which I had never thought about either. I actually talked with Tom, and um, he educated me on that option. So it's, I think that it would be a fantastic thing if that's possible. Well, and as Fred pointed out, it's not just the noise issue that you were concerned about, but also the air pollution. So being able to plug in would be greener. Um, do you have any idea what this might cost, Jeff? Uh, no, I have no, that's uh, just starting today. I'm researching it. I, I have no idea. Um, I did have one of our public works employees that, that has a, a has an attrition um, visit the site today and get a couple really good ideas that he got them pretty straightforward. But but the unknown in my mind is, is why we didn't do it previously if there was an issue with that. Um, so I, maybe, maybe what's fair is that we, we tie since, since the, the structure of the lease is more based off, um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a two stage. There's the stage of the status quo, how things are now, and how we structure things, and then if they make capital improvements and there's expansion. So we can, we can tie a, a maybe a um, mandatory requirement that there be short power for expansion purposes. That way, when they're doing a capital improvement project, that's part of that. And then maybe in the meantime, we just say that the city will take the initiative to to find a cost-effective way to get power for, for the reasons of um, being green. Because we're, we're doing energy trust projects on, on multiple uh, city facilities, and this is a, a, a good example of, of, of obviously, it uses more energy, but it's, it uses different energy, right. uh, cleaner energy, so. Are there grants available for that? Probably, probably not, probably not. Okay. Um, but um, as part of some of our, other projects, we're looking at ways to save energy, so maybe, um, well, we won't be paying the energy bill. They'd be definitely right, paying the right. energy bill and have an account for the power, so it would just be the capital cost to, to run the extension cord out there. Okay. <laughs> if it was that simple. Yeah, I didn't hear that. You guys remember the extension cord, the, the, the cord from the Coast Guard cutters? We have samples of it. Yeah. Wow. We do. I would, I would guess theirs would be smaller, but not quite as big a ship. Yeah. All right. So then the question for council is whether or not to uh, uh, take the time to craft a couple of sentence amendment to the lease uh, or, or just approve the lease as is with the understanding that uh, we'll address the uh, short power in the future. We, we do have, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Clara. But we do have language in there that um, capital that when they do expansion, the, the improvement plans have to be approved. <coughs> so, 
So we will have the authority to review their plan and require um, short power at that time. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great to me. I, uh, so I, your understanding? No, that's my understanding yeah. as well. Yeah. We usually have to get your approval and permits and all of that. I mean, I, I'd like to make a motion to uh, uh, accept the lease agreement for 173 Dock East End. So, Mayor, before we can move forward, just so we have clarity in the record, and Council Brownson, with that, is that <coughs> making a motion to approve the, the leases as it's presented, it's with the understanding uh, that uh, when the uh, second boat infrastructure comes in, that the improvement plans would include uh, um, review of, of shore power. Is that, is that well? Possible? Because we have the right to approve. Right. Whatever they do, if it's not already, we, 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 our goal we can is ask for that. Right. So yeah, I just want to make sure that there's maybe some some some, some records, legislative history, and the and the council minutes to be able to capture capture that. So. Thank you. That's much appreciated. Um, my uh, my motion stands. Second. All in favor. Aye. Aye. Actually, yeah, it's an all in favor. Aye. <laughs> Opposed. Okay. Thank you. Item 7C is the uh, 3rd Street Lexington Avenue Sanitary Sewer Replacement Change Order number one. So the Public Works Department has discovered or had discovered a portion of deteriorated sanitary sewer pipe between 3rd and 4th Street on Lexington Avenue. The pipe was partially collapsed and, and impeding flow and it needed immediate replacement. The City Council has approved an advance authorization of a construction contract to complete the needed work at your September 10th meeting. The advance authorization for a not, a not to exceed amount of $125,000. City staff executed a contract for $72,370 with advanced excavation to complete this replacement. So uh, city staff had planned to solicit a separate contract for water main relocation, which was included in the, in the total project, and also for surface restoration. Our public works operations staff was able to complete the water main work, so at this time, only surface restoration remains. Uh, we received a, an estimate to complete this additional scope of work from our established contractor, Advanced Excavation, and that was in the amount of $66,000. $718. That exceeds the advance authorization amount uh, that was initially provided by council, so we're here to be able to get your, your authorization for the change order tonight. It's recommended that council authorize the city manager to sign change order number one for surface restoration work associated with the third and Lexington Avenue Sanitary Sewer Replacement Project. And our city engineer, Nathan Crater, is in the audience if you have any questions. I have no questions. All right, then. I'd just like to say I'm delighted to be talking about sewers. <laughs> where, where there are no friendships lost, um, people upset, or just a nice sewer. <laughs> I'd just to say I'd like to restrict the diameter of the sewer pipe to nowhere <laughs> Weston, you can make the motion. <laughs> uh, 
make a motion that we approve um, change order number one for the Third Street and Lexington Avenue sanitary sanitary sewer replacement. And then you authorizing the city manager to sign. And I will authorize the city manager to sign that. I'll second it. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Uh, is there any new business from councilors? Any public comment on any topic not yet discussed tonight? I somehow feel we should stay for another three hours anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask if we actually move ahead with drawing stuff? Drawing? Yeah, we'll move ahead. Absolutely. Forthwith. And uh, wow, we actually finished Bridge Vista overlays on tonight. Yeah. That's uh, that's good. Happy birthday, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> Mayor, if I may, yeah, sure, also from note, um, for the record, that uh, you will be having an appeal hearing that will be coming forward before you at an upcoming meeting. We received an appeal on the grocery outlet application. Uh, and so I would say it must be the 15th day. And so uh, I don't know how it all times out, but uh, we did receive the appeal. Um, so I just remind you to refrain from ex parte contacts and moving forward because you will be having a public hearing uh, before you here in the upcoming months. And, and I'd just like to, for the council's benefit, also wanted to mention to my fellow council members that I've uh, uh, I've applied to be on a couple of uh, legal oriented city uh, committees for putting together legislation legislative action going forward with the state. So. Nobody else just really wants to jump in there and be part of that fun group. Because I'm going in for taxation and I'm going in for uh, possibly uh, uh, community development, but I'm actually more interested in moving over into uh, communications. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And just a reminder to all that on this Thursday, the 24th at 7 p.m., Council will be having a work session to discuss uh, the ex possible expansion of the enterprise opportunities. Well, it's, it's an, an application, uh, an application uh, from, uh, will be coming from Fort George Brewery. Uh, um, they have applied to utilize the Clatsop County Enterprise Zone, and uh, there, are, there is some discretion that comes into play in terms of the time frame uh, for the length of the Enterprise Zone uh, benefits and so um, there will be a, a discussion from representatives of Business Oregon uh, as well as the Enterprise Zone Manager uh, Kevin Leahy of Cedar um, and also from Fort George itself. Um, in addition to this being an Astoria City Council work session, representatives from the other jurisdictions associated with the Enterprise Zone including the uh, City of Warrington, the Clatsop County and the Port of Astoria have been invited to attend because um, this request would have to be approved by all uh, jurisdictions. And so uh, they've been invited to attend. So this is a city council work session that was requested by Mayor Jones. However, we, rather than having to go in and do this at every jurisdiction, it was decided to open it up so um, those other jurisdictions could attend as well and be able to participate. 
And just to clarify, this is for an enterprise zone, not an opportunity. That's zone. correct. That's correct. And that's for the warehousing site? Yes, that is. And that allows them to buy a bunch of equipment and not pay the additional taxes on it for 10 years? Right. So there, um, it's, it's, there's different time frames. And that's, and that's, and that's right. So there's there are different time frames, and that's one of the things that's going okay. to be discussed is we will have um, individuals from business Oregon here to be able to give an enterprise zone 101. Great. All right, we're adjourned.